Amen. Isn't that encouraging? I think our songs this morning have pointed out how frail and limited we are and how wonderful and limitless our God is. Amen. It's a great reminder. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. We've been studying the revivals that took place in the book of Jonah. And this last revival, I suppose I'm taking it on faith because, as you'll see, we don't, so we don't get to find out the rest of the story. It seems like Paul Harvey's quit right in the middle of, the, of this story. Doesn't tell us the rest of it. And it stops in a kind of a strange place. And I suppose some might argue and have debate over whether there was a revival that took place in chapter 4. But I believe that because it's recorded, that there was. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to pick up verse 10 just because... It's important so we can understand what's going on here. Verse 10 says, uh, from chapter 3, says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was upset because there was revival. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, so, uh, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. It is better for me uh, to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow until he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from the grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein there are more than six score thousand 
persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Father, help us this morning. I suppose that if this were the first time we'd ever read this passage, it would seem strange to us. Help us, Lord, to look at it with wonder and afresh. Help us to learn from it. We ask these things in your precious, perfect name. Amen. What a strange story. Here we are in the last part of this book. And I believe Jonah wrote this story. I, I think he wrote it in kind of a third person, probably because he was somewhat embarrassed of what he wrote. Kind of a confession of sorts. Jonah has discovered the people have, are, have repented, and he's upset about it. And he told the Lord, Lord, this is why I didn't want to come, is because I was afraid they would repent. I was afraid they would change their mind. And I know who you are, and I know what you'll do. And do you know what I think? I think that it, it can cause us to wonder, why would God include this book in the Bible? Why did God preserve this one? There are lots of other books that could have been preserved. There's other books that are made reference to in, in the scriptures that are not included, that God did not preserve. Why would God include this story of this carnal, selfish, angry prophet? Kind of interesting question, isn't it? Why would God include this? Hopefully, there's none of us that'd be upset if God would save our little town here of Altamont. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody got saved in our revival? I tell Brother Brewer he wasn't going anywhere. I tell him, you just call, you just call up the next place and you just cancel. If that means me, I'll go up there and preach. You just stay right here and you keep on preaching. If, we're gonna, if, if the whole town of Altamont gets saved during our revival... I'm just, I'm just going to nail his feet to the floor. <laughs> I'm not going to let him go anywhere. This is the biggest revival in Scripture. Six score thousand people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. That's, that's children. Probably five and under who don't know their right hand from their left. That's a lot of children. Matthew Henry projects that it probably means in the city there was about 650,000 people who were saved in this revival. 650,000 people. That's amazing. And here Jonah is saying, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew this would happen. <laughs> and you know what? It's kind of weird to preach this as our last 
uh, sermon in this series on, on the revivals and heading into our revival this Friday, it feels kind of like, wow, why should we end here? None of us are going to have this attitude if God comes and, and we see many saved. I don't, I don't believe anybody here will be upset about people getting saved. Now, I have seen some people get upset because people didn't take on all the standards right away. I've seen people upset because they visited a church that has people that don't have all the standards and they call that church liberal because there's people there that don't have all the standards. I've heard that nonsense. But I don't think that'll happen here. I mean, outsiders might, and I don't care what outsiders think. We care about what God thinks. So why this? Why Jonah? Why end here? As we're about ready to go into revival, why do we need this message? And as I begin to look through, I, I begin to realize that the, God is trying to help us to understand who he is and how oftentimes we get upset about who he is. We get upset about who God is. Jonah is upset about who God is. I know who you are. I told you this is what would happen I know because I know you. And sometimes we get upset at who God is. Sometimes we get upset at God's preeminence, his control, his power, his meddling in our lives. How many times in this scripture have we read about God taking an active role in what's going on on earth? I don't know if there's a book of the Bible, unless you're going to count the Gospels and what Jesus is doing, but where God is meddling so much. What do we find? We find right from the beginning, God hurls out a storm. Man, don't we have a fit when God hurls a storm into our life? Man, we don't want, man, Lord, I didn't want a storm. We want things to be easy. We want smooth sailing from here to heaven. We don't want any problems. We don't want any difficulties in our life. And we get upset because God brings along those storms that disrupt us from our peace. That keep us from having security. But what was Jonah doing in the midst of the storm? He was sleeping. And I wonder how oftentimes God has to send a storm into our life to wake us up. The Lord prepared a great fish. What's God doing? He's, he's meddling again. Jonah should die. And, and do you know what? I think if the story would have ended that way, most people would have been satisfied. I think most of us would say, you know what? He got thrown into the sea, and, and the lesson is, if you're going to disobey God, you die. If you're going to disobey God, you, uh, God is going to bring down the hammer. He's going to bring down his judgment. He's going to bring down his wrath. And then you know what happens? God doesn't bring down his wrath and his, and his justice as quickly as we'd like him to. 
And people who aren't doing what they should be doing, it seems like God's prospering them and rewarding them for their disobedience. And, and you're saying, Lord, why is it that this terrible, horrible sinner who's taking advantage and doing dirty deals and, and, and has uh, uh, all sorts of addictions, how come they're millionaires and billionaires and the Christian people suffer around the world? And we get frustrated because God prepares a great fish for some and it feels like he doesn't for others that we wish he would. God prepares a gourd. He prepares a plant. Wow. In the midst of a carnal, angry fit, and they talk about a fit. I mean, we pick on kids for their fit throwing, but I've seen some adults outdo kids any day. I'm so angry I could die. <laughs> And the Lord said, you know what? Even though you're not doing the right thing, even though you're, you're angry for no reason, he said, you know what? I'm going I'm to prepare a blessing for you. What? How is that fair? How come Jonah gets a gourd to, that, that protects him from the sun? How is this right? How is this fair? Here God is. He's... he's He's doing something that doesn't make sense to us. And I know we know the rest of the story. We know that God's teaching him a lesson. But in our lives, we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what he's up to. We don't know the end of the story. And we don't understand why God's blessing and doing something that, that doesn't make sense to us. And then the Lord prepares the worm that kills the plant. And do you know what? When, when it, the worm comes to somebody else's blessing that isn't doing right, we can get awful smug. Well, serves them right. They made their bed. Let's, well, they can lie in it. But man, when that worm comes to our gourd, Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. Don't kill him off my plant. Don't, don't, don't take away my blessings. Don't take away what, I mean, I, I mean, I preached for you. I did what you told me to do, and now you kill my plant. I'm so angry I could die. <laughs> and how often do we do that when, when God takes a blessing away from us? And we go to the Lord, and we, and, and I hope not in a carnal fit. But we say to the Lord, oh, the devil is hounding me. And the Lord said, it was me who sent that worm. You know, I think the devil gets blamed for a lot of things God does. I think we better be careful about who we assign responsibility to. Because it seems to me, at least from the book of Jonah, that God's doing a whole lot more than the old devil ever is getting to do. Even when we go to the book of Job, where Satan seems to be pretty active in the first couple of chapters, we find that he's got to get permission from Jehovah first. I think it's pretty easy for us to say, 
Satan's doing this and Satan's doing that, when really it's God working in our lives. And you know what? I think the reason we sign blame to Satan is because it's easy to be mad at him. We don't feel guilty about it. But if we realize that it was God, it, then we would feel pretty ashamed about our frustration and our anger. What's God trying to teach us from the book of Jonah? He's trying to say he is actively involved in your life. He is not passive. He is actively working in your life. And the things that you like and the things that you hate, all of them come from the same God who loves us and cares about us. I don't know what God wants to do in this revival. I don't know what God's trying to prepare us for. But I believe that we need to get to the place where we can accept what we consider good things and bad things from the same God. Because the bad things are really his blessings too. God never sends a bad thing to his children with the intention of hurting and harming them. Those of us that are, that are parents, we recognize that there's some times that we've had to say no to our kids that they didn't like it. But we knew that saying no was an important thing. We knew that, that if we didn't say no, that there was danger ahead. They couldn't see it. Once they get to be teenage years and they can start thinking for themselves, it gets worse. And there are times that I just have to say, I've lived it before. All I can tell you is, is, is that road's dangerous. I've seen a lot of people walk down that road. And you have to take my word for it for now. You move out, you can, you can go down that road. You can choose to go down that road. That, you're welcome to it. As long as you live here, I'm going to try to block you from it because I know it's dangerous. I know it's, a, I know it's a deadly road. I know the sorrows, the pain that that road is. But if you want to go through, you want to break through the barriers, you want to go down that road, you can. We have the freedom to choose, but we don't have the freedom from our consequences. And you know what? It's really hard to listen to somebody else's wisdom when they're choosing for us what's best for us. Even in our 40s and 50s and 60s, and I won't go any further. <laughs> it's really, really hard for us to trust in someone else's wisdom. We want to trust in our own. I don't know why that is, but, but from the, the moment that a child feels like they have any bit of wisdom, they want to rely on it. They know better than a, per, a parent who's lived five and six and ten times as many years old as they are. And we kind of shake our heads as parents, but how many times has, have we done the same thing to God who is everlasting to everlasting. And we said, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this in my life? Why this storm? Why this fish? Why this gourd? Why this 
worm. Why, why, why? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ever ask why. Jesus asked, why hast thou forsaken me from the cross? I'm not saying it's wrong to say, ask the Lord why. Sometimes we get an answer, but most of the time we don't. But I believe that God is trying to teach us in this, in this uh, series that as we've looked at the book of Jonah together, that as we go to the revival, we've got to understand that God is in control. And we have got to let go of that control. If we want God to have control in our services, if we want him to have control in our community, if we want God to, to have control in our, uh, our nation, if, if that's really what we want, we've got to first allow God to have control of us. And all the way along, Jonah's fighting against it. God says, go. And Jonah says, no. No. And then, there's, and then we see this progression of really mercies. Each of these are mercies of God. Whether it's a storm, whether it's a fish, whether it's a gourd, or whether it's a, a worm, all of these things. And oh, by the way, did I mention that God also prepared uh, the hot sun and the vehement east wind? I mean, the whole way through this book, God is preparing and doing and working and moving so that Jonah can be moved from a focus on self to a focus on God. And if we're going to be a people who can receive revival, we've got to get the focus off from us. We've got to get the focus off what I want and, and what makes me comfortable and, and what makes me happy and what I think revival looks like and, 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 and the people I want to see get saved and put the control, give it back to God where it is anyways. Jonah, for all of his fighting, didn't change God one bit. He still had to go to Tarshish. Or, I'm sorry, back to Nineveh. <laughs> yeah. He still had to go to Nineveh. He still had to preach. He still had a, had a great revival that he didn't want. He still had a lesson that he had to learn here in chapter 4. He didn't want any of it. And God is dragging him, kicking and screaming as it were. And thank God he does that for Jonah. But I wonder if God is getting a little bit tired of doing that for us. I know what I want. And you know what you want. And I know, I know it's fun to joke about asking our wives where they want to eat and they say, I don't care. But man, the first time you mention a place that they don't want to go, they let you know. We were traveling, whenever we're traveling, and I ask her where she wants to eat, and she tells me she, she, that she doesn't care, I say, all right, we're going to White Castle, and she suddenly cares. <laughs> I've never once gotten her into a White Castle. She just heard, heard it's bad. She's never been. As soon as I say we're going to White Castle, suddenly she goes from I don't care to I care about that place. And all of you wives probably do the same thing. 
You say, you don't care. And as soon as your husband mentions the place he wants to go, you suddenly care. We know what we want. Or at least we know what we don't want. Maybe we're not sure what we want, but we know we don't want this, and we don't want that. And we don't want a storm, and we don't want to get the fish, and we don't want the worm to destroy our plant, and we don't want the wind and the sun to beat down on us. We know what we don't want. But what if those were the avenues? What if those are the blessings to help us to get to the place where God can use us? Without the storm and without the fish, Jonah never could have gotten to, tar- uh, to Nineveh. Wow, I'm really struggling this morning. Never would have gotten there. He was going to Tarshish. He was going in the other direction. But God sent trials. He sent problems. He sent difficulties. Because he's trying to get Jonah to get to the place where he ought to be. This might be a little bold, but I believe that the problems in our lives, most of them, if not all of them, are God's attempt to help us to get where we're supposed to be. And I know there's some of us that are facing some severe and numerous trials right now. And I know it can sound cold and harsh for me to say that God is trying to help you to get to where you need to be. And I don't mean to rub salt in the wound. But what is it that God has been trying to show you that you just won't listen to? And God usually sends several different ways. I told you Nineveh had already faced two plagues. They've been facing an enemy up from the north that is, has been taking more and more of their, of their land. God had already been working. God had already been trying to help them to understand that he was not pleased with what was going on there. And finally Jonah shows up and they go, Ah, this is what it is. And in our lives we've got problems and maybe there's been I know this happens, and I don't mean for it to, but I I know that it has to happen this way. Sometimes I preach something, and God just, that's for you. And I don't know. I don't know who it's for. Sometimes I don't even remember saying it. But the Holy Spirit knew. Sometimes it's a parent. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes, Sometimes it's the bills. Sometimes it's the health or doctors. I don't know what it is for you, but God is oftentimes trying to bring us to a certain place and we go kicking and screaming. We're going to have to get there eventually. We can either yield or we can be dragged. You ever give your child the option, either you do it with or without the spanking? (laughs) It's the way it is with God. Either you'll do it with or without the spanking. You'll do it with or without the trials. You'll do it with or without the fish and the storm and the worm and the east wind and the sun. You either do it with or without, but, but we're either going to get to the place where we're going to get there 
Or we can just keep living in the storms. It's easy to do. You know, sometimes we joke and say, I want to I want to learn what I'm supposed to learn from this trial quickly so I can get it over with. And there's some truth to that. But you know, sometimes if we're honest, we're as hard headed as can be. The Old Testament says that Israel was a stiff necked people. I wonder how many times that I've been a pain in the neck for the Lord. Ever have a stiff neck? It's pretty miserable, isn't it? And the storms come and, man, this is miserable. What's God trying to show me? Now, sometimes life just happens. We all, we're all going to get head colds this winter. You're not going to get, most of us are not going to get a buy it. We're all going get, to get a cold. Probably more than one. No, in my history, I'll probably get bronchitis along the way. You usually get it every winter. Stomach bugs will come around. Isn't that fun? It may not be that God's sending that to get us to where we need to be. It may just be life. Some of those things just happen. And so I'm not trying to say that every storm and every reverse and every difficulty is God trying to get a hold of us. But what I'm trying to say to us is, is when God is trying to get us to release control, it's easier if we just let go than for him to pry it out of our fingers like a two-year-old that will not let go of what will harm them. Sometimes we get upset. God's meddling in our lives. How do we have revival if we're working against what God's trying to do in our life? Over in Malachi, he says, he says that if you pay your tithe, he'd pour you out a blessing you can't contain, but... You see, he couldn't give the blessing until they were obedient in their tithes and the offerings. I'm not, this isn't a sermon about tithes and offerings. This is just a, a trying to help us to understand there are blessings that we can't receive until we start walking in obedience, that we start letting God have control, and that is control of our finances in, in Malachi. But there, God wants control in all of our areas and all the things of our life. If we have some area of our life where God is not in control, our entertainment, our sports, our dress, our talk, our job, our music, our relationships, if God doesn't have control of it, we can expect God to just begin to meddle. And begin to work. 
and it began to shake things up. You see, I think the reason that Jonah ends like it does in verse 11 and doesn't tell us the rest of the story is because the same reason that Jesus ends the parable of the prodigal son with the elder brother sitting there on the porch refusing to go in and the father has pled with him to come in but we never find out whether or not he comes in or not. The same reason. Because he's speaking to us. He's saying to us, are we going to get past our prejudices? Are we going to get past our preferences? Are we going to get past the things that we want to get control of and manipulate? Or are we going to let God be in control of those things? See, I believe Jonah got to that place. I believe Jonah finally realized, started to put it together. You know what? I'm upset about this gourd, but God rescued me when, in my disobedience with that great fish. I, I've been upset about what God has done for Nineveh, but God did the same thing for me. And I think he, I think he started piecing it together. I believe that because we have this, this book of the Bible. I believe Jonah finally got it. But here's why it ends, because the question isn't whether Jonah got it, it's whether we get it. Whether we are content to let God have full control of our lives. And Jonah is so resistant to God having full control, he'd rather die than let God have full control of his life. Now Jonah doesn't really mean that because when he's in the fish, he's crying and begging and pleading for God to let him out. It's one thing to talk about death. It's a whole other thing to look it down right in the face. Jonah doesn't really mean he wants to die. He just doesn't want this anymore. He wants to wrest control of his life from God again. And what do we want control over? Lots of things. Lots of things. You know, there's a question that sometimes comes up in, in our circles. If people can go to heaven who don't dress like us and aren't as careful as us, if they can go to heaven, why, are we, why do we do this? It isn't because we think we're more spiritual. Don't think It's not because that, that we're special in any way. You know what it is? It's that we have tried to begin the process of saying to God, you have control. You have control over the way I dress. You have control over the length of my hair. You have control over what I watch. You have control over what I listen to. You have control. And this is, this is that process. But you know what the danger is? We can conform because that's what everyone else is doing and never get to the place where we really say to God, God, are you pleased with this outfit? Are you pleased with how my hair is arranged? It looks like everybody else's. 
Everyone else in the Holy Spirit can do, is doing it, so I don't even have to ask God because everyone else is doing it. We're not conforming to each other. We're conforming to the image of Christ. And if others conform in a different way, wonderful. If they conform, if their root, if their avenue of conforming to the image of Christ doesn't look like ours, that's fine. But the reason we do what we do, what makes us so unusual and makes us unique as a people is we have overtly and on purpose said, Lord, we want you to have control of every aspect of my life. And if your word says there should be a distinction of the sexes and the way we dress, then that's what we're going to do. But Lord, it doesn't have to be just chapter and verse. If the Holy Spirit would come along and say to me, I don't want you to do this anymore. I don't want you to listen to that or watch that or wear that or say that or whatever. And there's no scripture for it. We're still going to conform because he has control. And if we're conforming to each other, folks, we're not anything special. The world keeps conforming to each other. The world can do that. We're not... I, it, it, if someone were to get saved from our community, I don't want them dressing like us and talking like us and, 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 and doing all of that because it's us I want them to conform to the image of Christ. More than anything, I want, and we've got to allow them time. Can God trust us with a new convert? Or do you think we have to control their, their walk so that we look good? Do we have to control their standard and how quickly they measure up? There's a lot of churches that's been the way it is. Could God trust us with revival? Or would we mess it up? Because we have to have control. I had two other points. I'm not going to get to them this morning. That's fine. I think this is where God really wants us to dwell Who's in control of our life? And does he have permission to be in control? Or are we fighting against him every step of the way? It's our choice, really. There comes a point when God says, you want to have your way, you can have it. Romans 1 teaches us that. And we see the end of that. God gives us over to our own delusions. Or we can say, God, whenever I get my hands on something, I mess it up. And boy, did Jonah mess things up, didn't he? And maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I have messed things up. I have had to have control. And I like Jonah, I've messed things up. You know what's great about the book of Jonah? is God shows us that he, he can take our mess-ups and he can make something beautiful. The sailors get, get saved. And that, that wouldn't have gotten saved if Jonah just would have went straight to Nineveh. 
God knows how to take our messes and still get beauty and glory for himself from it. Not that we should intentionally mess up so he can get glory from that. But God is trying to help us understand we don't have to hide from him. We don't have to ignore the control that we've held wrongly in our hands. But we can just confess it and allow God to make something beautiful out of what we've given him. What do you control that God doesn't? As we go into this revival, I think it's a question we should ask in prayer and ask the Lord, God, is there some area of my life I need to let go and let you have control over? It might be a standard issue. It might be a relationship. I don't know what it is. But if we have control, then we're not letting God have control. And we make things like Jonah did. Make a mess. We make a mess. Invite us to stand together. Father, it's so hard for us in our humanity to let you have control. There's some of us that don't even like to ride in a vehicle with someone else. We want to drive because we want control. Some of us will never get on an airplane because we can't fly it ourselves. And Lord, while it can be funny and it can be just kind of a quirk, when that happens in our spiritual life, it's dangerous. Lord, would you take control of our lives? Will you show us the areas in our life that, that we have got a tight grip on and we just won't let you have it? Lord, I believe as a church we want revival. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to let you have your way in our lives. Because this is we go our separate ways. Bring us back at the appointed hour. And please, get glory for yourself in the light way that we live our lives. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You are dismissed.